Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep. Never Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we follow some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta in February. And in this episode, I'm talking to John Ranieri as he just came off two huge performances on uh, two different uh, 10-mile races, uh, Surf City and the Crim 10-Miler. And while these were very different races and had very different fields, he's in a great spot and he's trending in a positive direction. And as you'll hear in this episode, he's really excited for how things are going. But we don't just talk about those races and his training. We take a deep dive into his racing mentality, the things that he thinks about, and the evolution that's come over time in terms of how he you know, thinks about not only racing, but handling the different parts of running hard and, and just basically working through the pain um, that can we all experience, frankly, uh, when we're really testing ourselves and trying to push push past our perceived limits. So thank you for John. Thank you, Jonathan, for really just speaking so eloquently about these topics. I really appreciate it. Also, big ups to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. As you'll hear later in the episode, they do huge things for testing biomarkers and allowing you to really just get a handle on what's happening in your body and what you can do, especially from a dietary perspective, to optimize and maximize you know, your, your biomarkers and just all the levels that affect so many different things in your everyday life, your training, and racing. So with all that being said, here's my conversation with John Ranieri. Hey, John, welcome back to the show. Hey, uh, good morning, Matt. Um, thank you for having me on again. My pleasure. So last time um, we talked was a while ago. And in the interim, we actually had your coach on, uh, James McCurdy, to talk about your training, uh, not only in the short term, but you know what it's been like uh, over the past you know year or two, which was really insightful and, and I think provided a lot of context for people because you've had you know, kind of these these major swings in the past year in terms of, you know, races that you've done well in and then some races that didn't go how you'd hoped, not from a performance perspective necessarily, just in terms of like, and I guess I'm speaking about Boston specifically, how would, you know, that race just didn't go well for you and hearing about it from your coach's perspective was insightful. And so it's great to have you back on the show personally now that you are in i mean shoot you're in the thick of it now my man damn like, straight yeah <laughs> so what so what is that like like all right so here we are it's monday morning for you it's, it's, it's midday for me what does your body feel like like right now in terms of not not in terms of like how you expect it to feel but like say how you compare your body how it feels now to say if you were just doing like base mileage and not really preparing for anything well, I'm coming off a long run workout yesterday, so I kind of feel like a little hungover. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I, I just kind of feel a little trash today, but that feeling should probably go away in a couple of days. So it, it usually lingers that long? Uh, you know, like, I mean, like, it depends. Uh, I think yesterday felt harder because of just the previous week. Um, so I ran uh, the Surf City 10 miler on Saturday night uh, a week ago. Then it was a really, really short turnover to a 20 mile long run the next morning and then just kind of a heavy week. So yeah, things have just been kind of weighing on me a bit physically this week. So uh, yesterday's run definitely was more challenging for sure. All right. So let's talk about before we get into Surf City, 
Because, you know, you, obviously it was a, you know, every race is a big race, especially at this point in your career and this buildup. But you say you, you have that race. What is the logic behind doing the 20 miler the next day? And what does the execution of that 20 miler look like? Like, is it like just an easy run? Is there surges in there? Just, just, just from a coaching and athlete perspective, what's the utility of that run? Sure, sure. So the utility of that run is just to get time on feet, essentially. Uh, you know, my legs were a little beat up because it was like a workout type effort on Saturday night. So it, it like, it was just about going as literally as slow as you want <laughs> for, for, you know, a good amount. And then my legs started to warm up a bit. And then, um, at the end it looks a little bit faster, but it's nothing flashy. You know, um, it was probably like 20 miles at seven fifteen pace. Um, so you know, it wasn't anything flashy, but, you know, I got the job done for sure. Right. And to put that in perspective for people who may not be as well tuned for, to you, that, you know, you're talking about, you know, little over two minutes per mile over your, you know, kind of like your ideal marathon pace, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm going to be tired. I mean, like, I'm going to be like tired at like mile 16 in the marathon. So, you know, I should feel tired after a hard effort like that. I'm not going to go blast 20 miles, but I certainly just want to give, you know, a decent effort, like just to actually hit that aerobic stimulus. Right. Okay. So let's, let's go back a couple of weeks. Uh, I talked to Parker Stinson after he uh, did the double of the Crim 10 miler and then come to the New Haven road race, which I know for you, that must've been hard not going to New Haven this year, being a Connecticut guy. Uh, it, it like, it was actually kind of brutal. Cause I was like, man, that seems like such a cool race to be in. You know, you, you, like you just had so many good guys up front, just kind of churning. And like, it seemed like a really cool place for just good American competition. So yeah. Um, I, I was like, I was like a little disappointed that I missed out on it for sure. Right. And even going into that race, I know Scott Fobble didn't have the day that he'd hoped just because of extenuating circumstances, but you guys live close by to each other up there in Flagstaff. Was he giving you any gruff about like how he was actually going to Connecticut and you were staying in Arizona? Oh, no, 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 uh, not at all. Um, well, like it's funny because Flagstaff is, you know, like is like is a fairly large city, but at the same time, it's it's also like really small. So you do get to know people. Uh, but just generally, like you don't bump into everyone all the time. Uh, but I was certainly just just pretty jealous that people were going to New Haven and I was like, ah, well, maybe I picked the wrong race, you know? So let's talk about crimp. Cause I had spoken to, uh, again, your coach prior to, prior to that race. And he had basically offline had said like, Hey, we got, you know, pretty big expectations. I think Johnson run really, really well. And you did run really well for that race, but also he'd kind of let me know after the fact that maybe the course was a little bit more of a challenge than you guys had anticipated. So let's just talk about just in terms of prep. How did you prepare for that race in terms of, you know, tailoring your plan to include a good performance there uh, from a, either a tapering perspective or, or basically what, what sort of allowances did you put into your training plan to run as well for that race? Or was it simply a matter of, hey, you know, this is just the long run this weekend and we don't change anything? You know, for Krim, we definitely like dropped the mileage, like for sure that week. It, it was like, it was just like, look, like we, we definitely want to run fast. So we want your legs to be a, a little bit fresher. Uh, the workout wasn't anything crazy leading up the Krim. It was maybe 
like four by mile or something or with like four by 400 at the end. Um, but we definitely dropped the volume. Uh, we dropped the quality and we just wanted to be fresher for race day. Okay. And then when you were going into that race, what, how are you viewing your race strategy, uh, in terms of either pacing yourself or in terms of trying to like, you know, go for the win or or place in a certain way or looking at the competition and trying to feed off certain people? Well, what was funny was that like, I knew Parker was going to be there. Uh, I knew Dathan was going to be there. Um, I knew the, um, international field was going to be good. It always is there. Um, and then it's like, can other Americans just decided to show up to the race? Um, so it definitely made for a good race and everyone was kind of packing up. Um, but I just decided that I just wanted to go from the gun and just kind of see what I can do. Uh, you know, so I, I, I was with the front pack for about two miles and, and then they dropped the 429 or something like that. And I was like, I want none of this right now. You know, um, I could tell this course is getting a bit hillier. So I kind of just maintained my pace. Dathan Parker, Andrew Bumbleo, and Nathan Martin caught up to me. So we were all running together for a while and I was kind of gauging myself off them. And I was like, okay, I'm in a really good place right now. I just got to make these surges. I got to make these moves when they make the moves and I'll be good. And I remember um, being at five miles and like uh, Nathan Martin and like Dathan made like an incredibly hard move. Uh, Bumbleo went with them and I went with Bumbleo and eventually I ended up passing Bumbleo and then he caught up to me. But um, it was definitely good having those guys there so I can kind of gauge where I was. I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm running with some pretty talented guys right now. You know, they're, they've definitely proven themselves over the years. And, um, I was just really excited to be there. So talk to me about the beginning of the race when you went with the leaders and kind of separated yourself from that other pack that joined you a couple miles later, what was your thinking at that point? Or was it just a matter of, I'm just going to run with the leaders until I can't you know, kind of keep this pace anymore. So it like, it was funny because I remember listening to the podcast that you did with James and James was like, yeah, like we want to hit a certain time. Right. So we had a certain time in mind for the course. Um, and, and like, honestly it was, it was just super poor planning on my part. I didn't know how, how like hard trim was. So my expectation was I, I just wanted to go out with the leaders and see if I could actually, you know, run that time. Um, so I was with them for a while and my thought was like, I, I just literally just want to outrun people. You know, I just want this to be as much as a time trial as possible. Okay. And then when you got to, when they hit that 429 and you were like, all right, I need to back off of this. Did you shift from more of a time-based perspective to more of a run with people perspective or, or, or what, what was your thinking there in terms of, you know, you're kind of audible on the fly. To be honest, I was still in like race mode so it was just more instinct was taking over and my instinct was if i go with this i'm i'm gonna be done at six miles you know this is not a 10k race so i just decided just to kind of back off and i knew there was a really good pack behind me so i was like okay like i have these people to work with got it so you so you could you you knew they were coming at some point and then you would just kind of latch on to them and then when rich makes that move and then, you know, Bumbleo goes and then you go when it, when that sort of, you know, that those tactical moves are being made in a race, how much of you is kind of internally focused on what you're doing and how you're feeling or just trying to block out how you're feeling 
versus trying to get a read on the other runners that you're competing with? You know, honestly, like, like that's a really good question. Um, it, you know, like to me, it was probably more of an internal struggle, you know, like it is anytime, but it, it, it was like, I view it as, you know, this guy's been around the block. He's made moves like this before. He's run crazy fast times. I'm like, man, like I just got to go with him. I just got to go with him. I just got to go with him. So it was certainly a struggle trying to make that move. And I ended up missing it, honestly. Um, I was, I was definitely, uh, late to the boat for that. Uh, so, you know, um, like for me, it was just about, okay, like, like, how can I gather myself? You know, um, like how can I make this the best race possible at this point in time? Um, so yeah, it, like, it was kind of fighting my like internal, like reaction of, okay, you're going too fast. You should slow down. And, and I think that goes to show that everyone has a feeling like that in every race they do to where, it's like they make the move or they don't. And if you don't make the move, it's not the end of the world, but you learn next time and you get a little bit tougher and you're, and you know, like you are able to make it. Right. And I guess this is something that I think a lot of people can relate to is that you know, your, your training over the past year and a half has put you in a, in a fitness level that you've never been before. So how were you able to identify paces within a race, no matter the distance that, is probably too much for you to handle at that moment versus your body just not getting accustomed to kind of your new fitness reality. So I always go back to effort and intention. So it, it's, it's like, does this feel like the right effort? And am I accomplishing the intention? And I think when I made those decisions, I was, but I think also it's like challenging yourself to get to that, like to get to that new level maybe it's just your mind kind of blocking you out of accomplishing that intention. So um, it's more just kind of gauging your effort at the time, seeing how your breathing is, seeing how your legs feel, um, you know, and just making sure that you're making like a really smart, calculated decision during the race, even though that may be really difficult at the time. And, you know, this being basically you know, a threshold pace for you and your competitors because you're running you know, for a little bit under an hour, how much of this can really come down to, um, you know, picking and choosing when to run fast to just the idea of like, Hey, we're all just pretty much just going to redline this whole thing. Uh, well, it, I, I mean, when you have that many good guys in a race, like you did at Crim and it was that stacked of a field, uh, you know, you definitely want to beat each other, uh, you know, and everyone has fire and everyone has that internal motivation. And I feel like when you're put in that situation, um, you, you just got a red line. <laughs> like, like, I mean, like you almost have no choice, even if your intention was not the red line, um, you know, and, and, and I think I really enjoy that challenge and having really good people around me, you know, like I enjoy racing with Parker. I enjoy racing with Dathan. I enjoy racing with Nathan Martin. Like I enjoyed racing with that whole field because I, re because I respected their ability and, you know, and it, it was, it was just such a treat just to run around people that are so good, you know? Um, so I think when you're around a collective like that, it really steps up your game and it's like, okay, well, you know, like, I mean, like I got to perform today. And 
you know, I've been following your training, you know, for over a year now. And, and, you know, James is very open about sharing specifically your workouts. You know, he's, he's very open about what you guys are doing. He films them. He has them in Instagram stories and, and, you know, and provides kind of his commentary throughout, which is really helpful and insightful. And, you know, not only what you're doing, but how he's viewing it in terms of your effort level. So, you know, seeing some of the workouts you're doing at 7,000 feet is really impressive. But obviously, racing is different than a workout. So how much would you say is, how much more were you taxed, say, in this race than you were in some of your harder workouts leading up into it? Oh, I I was certainly pretty beat. Uh, Like, I didn't have another quality session, like, until the next weekend. Um, like if anything, we had a little fart like midweek, but it wasn't like, it wasn't very long. Um, well, like, and it's funny because I flew home that night and and I got the Flagstaff pretty late. And, and anyway, like the next morning, like I actually met one of our fellow coaches, uh, Michael Crouch and, uh, Jack for a long run. And, uh, and I ended up going 19. I was like, man, I feel great. And then the next day I, I could barely walk. Like I got out of bed and I like needed a cane, but I didn't have one. So I just started like, all right, I'm going to hold on to the walls till I get to the door. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, what? like, it's like really funny because it's like still like the same, like delayed fatigue. Right. But like when you're racing that hard, it certainly taxes you a lot more. And what do you normally feel like after like a really tough, you know, say you're doing, 10 by a thousand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're, 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 you're again, you're, you're at 7,000 feet, you 10 by a thousand. It's a long day. How do you normally feel the next day after a workout like that? I don't feel as bad. I, I mean, I still clearly feel like I put in work, but the idea that it was broken kind of like takes uh, the sting out of the legs more so. So if it was like 10 kilometers straight, um, that's a whole nother ball game compared to 10 by kilometer. And I think you really hit that on the head there. Um, you know, it's definitely easier for you to recover off a session like that, as opposed to a seven mile threshold or an 11 mile steady state or a 10 mile race. And what do you do, um, to make sure that you're recovering the way you need to, um, this doesn't have to be like, you know, super scientific, you know, if, if, if that <laughs> yeah. doesn't entail yeah, what, sure. what you do, but just like, but your own kind of like how you've learned what your body needs, um, and how you kind of tailor your lifestyle to try to give you, give yourself as much recovery and quality recovery as you can. So immediately after I'll, 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 I'll have at least, you know, 400 calories of something. Um, like that's a given, right? So, and then I'll have like, I mean, honestly, like I'll have an hour of just time alone with myself where I can just like reflect and just, um, just kind of relax and chill and, you know, bring down the heart rate and, uh, and kind of reflect on the day's work. Um, you know, that day generally I'll foam roll a couple times. I'll, I'll be eating a lot. And, and I'll try to get at least nine to 10 hours of sleep that night. And I know there's, there's an expression in cycling that, um, you know, don't run, walk, don't walk, stand, don't stand, sit down, don't sit down, lie down. <laughs> so it's basically like always do less than you're currently doing. Um, what do you do? Do you do anything like in that regard in terms of trying to stay off your feet? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, it depends on, on really how hard the workout is because it's like, 
you need to sit down the entire day. Uh, but like, I mean, if I'm going to do anything, I'm just going to be sitting or lying down or just, um, like that's perfect time for me to do work and, you know, uh, write schedules or write race plans or, or just do something for my athletes during that time, because I will be sitting down, laying in bed or, or doing something very passive. I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also, they have science-backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give Inside Tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? So use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 10% on Inside Tracker today. So at Krim, you ran 448 mile pace throughout. You finished sixth overall, um, kind of a little bit behind Bumbleo, and you're kind of like in this middle zone. Like you're running with people the whole time, and then all of a sudden you're like, like you you were kind of like by yourself there at the finish. But overall, what did you take from the race in terms of your performance and your fitness? So I thought the performance was like an A minus if I had to rank it. Um, I was really really happy with it, but I know I missed some moves. Uh, you know, and, and it was just like little minor moves. It was just like, maybe take another few strides with someone and just latch on. Um, but it, I mean, running 47 50 on that course is, is me now that I look back on it and have a little bit more clarity. Like, I think that was a tough, tough call for the day. Honestly, it, it was, it was really just, uh, just a tough race in general. Um, like at first I put too much emphasis on, ah, well, like I didn't hit this time, but I was looking back on it. I was like, wow, like that's damn good for having like 500 feet of climbing in the whole race, you know? Um, so I, I, I was generally pretty happy with it. Like, like it puts us in a very, very, very good spot kind of going into our 10 weeks out from New York. So that's another way of looking at it too. Cause you have this huge race against top of a competition and yet at the same time, it's none of the people in that race, it's nobody's a race, right? So you have this. Exactly. This exactly. Is, is it difficult to compare yourself to other people? Cause you don't know exactly how people are approaching it. You know what? Like, I think that mindset's easy to get into. Uh, and, and I try not to compare myself with other people, just try to do my best. Uh, but you know, I think it's good because if kind of like I was saying before, if, you know, like if you're in a similar fitness level with someone and you race very similarly to someone, generally, you know, you're in very similar shape if you're doing the same work. Right. So I think kind of branching off of that, it, it like it gave me like a lot of confidence, you know, like knowing that I was running with guys that are in 211 or 212 shape, to be honest. 
so, I mean, that aspect of it gave me a lot of confidence for sure. Yeah. So how did you approach Surf City 10 Miler differently than you approached um, Krim in terms of just how you fit it into your schedule and how you worked your schedule around race day? Well, like it was funny because like I just kind of wanted to go out to Los Angeles just like just almost for like a mini vacation. <laughs> so I was like, okay, like, you know, like, do they have a harder effort out there? Like, do they have a race that I can enter And Like Surf City popped up and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like some of my athletes were doing that. So I was kind of looking more into it and me and James looked at the course and um, we're like, okay, l- like there's some hills in here, but it's conducive to running fast. Um, I think what we didn't take into effect was the wind on the course and the humidity and just the temperature in general, because it was a hotter week in LA. Um, so that definitely affected us, but our intention going into that race was let's just make this a time trial. You know, we, we kind of run the intention and effort and we run what we run and we just try to bring home the win essentially. Um, so it, it was, it was just run the intention and effort and good things are going to happen. And we ended up running the intention and effort and it was great. Like it wasn't the time I was hoping for. Like I ran 4901, but there was a wicked headwind on the way out. It was at least like 20, 25 miles per hour. Holy and cow. then I negative split the race by about like 50 seconds. So I went 2450, uh, like 2411 or something like that. Wow, that's a huge wind. And so you, you finished up was our 458 mile pace in that race. Yeah, like about. And when you were towing the line, were you, were you familiar with any of the other top runners? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a few guys in that field. Um, Anthony Solis, I believe, is a 212 guy. So um, he was in that field. Uh, and then there was another 64-minute guy um, in the field as well, too. Um, so surprisingly, it like like there was some really good competition that day. So how did it play out from a, from a um from a strategy standpoint in terms of like were you running with people not strategy standpoint but were you running with people or were you kind of out in front for a while cuz I know you kind of you know from from a finishing time perspective it seems like you had a decent gap on on some of the, some people finished behind you. Yeah, so let's put it this way like we still had a really big week. Like we didn't really you know, like taper a whole ton for this week. We, we were still like a hundred miles in the week. So my legs were, were pretty much shot at the point when I got to the, you know, the race, cause it was supposed to be just a time trial or hard effort. Right. Um, so I just was hauling ass from the beginning and I knew when I hit my first mile at 448, I'm like, wow, this is going to be a really long day. <laughs> and, and I was just like, okay, like I got four more miles to go. Okay, I have three more miles to go. Okay, I have two more miles to go into the wind. And then they torture you at the end because they put another point one until the turnaround. I'm like, oh man, all right, point one. So I turn around and from that point, I like I have a pretty sizable gap. I'm kind of like looking behind me a bit just to see. Um, it's not really a good habit to get into, but you know, I I just like kind like I kind of want to see like where everyone was. And at that point it was a pretty good gap. And and I knew I I I kind of had it in the bag at that point because you know, like the tailwind on the way back was, was, you know, like definitely going to help me and, and I could put in a serious effort there. Um, so I wasn't really too worried about getting second or third or fourth. Um, I like really like at that point, I was worried about myself, my effort, the intention I was giving, the focus I was giving, trying to churn out 
what the day required, if that makes sense. And when you're in that situation where it's literally you alone on the course, but it's a race, not a workout, and whether you're in first or 100th, if you're by yourself there, what kind of mind frame are you trying to stay in or what are you thinking or not thinking about in order to maximize your ability in the moment? Uh, so, I mean, I guess like this goes back to like, so pretty much like out of college, I decided I just wanted to be a tougher racer. Like, like that was something I want to build on. So over the past, like five years, I just, I've just have been growing to be a tougher and tougher racer. And that's my job every race just to be a little bit more tough. Right. Um, so I have this mantra and I, it, and like, I always say to myself in races, like never settle, never settle, never settle, never settle. And I think that really helped me a lot because I just like, I kept on moving my feet a lot faster. My, just like my upper body was just, you know, like it wasn't going all over the place, even though I like, I felt like it was, you know, like I felt like shit the entire race, but I, I just knew that I was putting in a good effort and I knew that, that I was never going to settle. Um, and, and I think for me, that's really important because the moment that I start settling is the moment that I start breaking down and, and, you know, and, and I just definitely didn't want that to happen. And, and I definitely wouldn't let that happen. Like, just like, no matter how I felt. Well, let's linger on that for a second, because you bring up something interesting that I think it's easy to miss. You, you spoke just now about how you felt like shit the whole race. Yeah. With that in mind, how do you dissociate that feeling from what you can, what you can look at analytically and say, I should be able to run X, Y, Z, how I'm feeling isn't going to determine how I'm going to do. Cause for me, as you know, just an amateur runner, those two things are just inextricably linked. Like how I'm feeling and how I'm doing, there, there's a 100% connection point there. Whereas for you, it seems like they're not necessarily correlated to that degree. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, like I think for me, it's like it's just been exposure at just at at just very high quality efforts on tired legs, um, and and I just wanted it, man. Like. I like I knew I was hurting, but I was like, man, I'm going to be kicking myself like if I don't bring home the win or, you know, like if I don't give a decent effort out here, I'm just like my legs are tired, you know, like I feel like shit, but that's okay. Like I'm just going to keep on going on one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. Um, and, And I think kind of compartmentalizing it that way really has helped me out in really tough situations. And I'm able to go to um, some really dark places, uh, that I don't enjoy going to a lot, but they make me a better athlete. They make me a better challenger. Um, you know, and just learning how to divert the pain to something else, you know, like kind of transitioning that pain or transitioning, just being uncomfortable and, you know, using that as fuel. And when you were in college or just out of college, what would be an example that you would point to now as like a race where you didn't exhibit the kind of toughness that now you're trying to maximize? Um, I would revert back to probably like my fifth year at uh, UNC. Um, that, that, that was a time where I probably had the most mental struggle because I didn't really know what I was going to do out of college. You know, like I had a degree, which was great. And, and I could go into sports administration and, and, you know, something like that. And, 
but you know, like I still wanted to run and, and I felt like I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. Uh, and you know, um, I just would flounder in races and, and I floundered in like three straight races. Like I went to regionals, uh, for NCAAs and, and I ran 34 minutes for a 10 K like, I mean, it was in humidity and heat, but I, I just mentally wasn't there. And for me, um, I was like, I never want to be there ever again in my entire life. And I made a promise to myself. Um, and I think that was really the defining moment to where like, I know if things got low, things got low, but it couldn't have gone as low as that. So. So was that in that race was, was kind of like the die cast before the race even started? Or was there a point in the race where you just mentally packed it in? Oh, I was mentally checked out from the beginning. Like if I'm being honest with myself, yeah. That was just, uh, it, like, it was just like a really tough time in my life. Um, and I just, and I just mentally checked out from the gun. Um, I think the coaches saw it. Um, I think like I saw it, I think my teammates saw it. Um, so like for me, it was just about accepting that, uh, that, that, you know, that was the case and just kind of moving on and just becoming a stronger and becoming a more, you know, uh, self-sufficient runner, you know, just just kind of getting a little bit thicker of skin in general, to be honest. And James in our, in our podcast in which we just talked about you the whole time, <laughs> which I, you listen to, which is funny to me. I wonder what it's like to listen to a podcast where people talk about, you know, talk about it's a little you, awkward. The person. You're just, <laughs> you're just in there listening. Like what's, what are they talking about? But, um, in that he goes out of his way to basically talk about, you know, what a humble and nice guy you are. And I'm not trying to blow smoke here. But these were his words. And, you know, you give a couple of really insightful examples. So you also talk about now about like trying to really amplify the toughness on race day. What's it like for you kind of having these potentially two, maybe they're not divergent, but basically two kind of two different mindsets, right? Like this, this kind of the, this public persona that you have just your normal everyday life and public persona is not probably not the right phrase either, but just like how you normally live versus how you act and think about yourself, you know, when things are getting tough, when you're running, when you really have to kind of, you know, kind of take it to the next level and you know, kind of ramp up the menace a little bit, uh, which is maybe antithetical to how you live like you know the other 23 hours of the day yeah so it like it is like kind of like a stark contrast because um when i show up to the start line like i want to bring that fire like i want to be competitive like like i have just like deep down inside like i know i'm there i know i'm fit i i know you know like even if like the general fitness doesn't really back it up that like I know mentally I can compete with anybody out there, you know, and if I falter, I learn and, and I kind of grow from that and I get stronger next time. Um, as opposed to, um, I, I mean, kind of generally, like I'm not that competitive of a person and, and like anything else. Uh, y y y I mean, I, I just really enjoy just, just hanging out and just like relaxing and, um, and, and, and if you, probably met me in person and, and you didn't know I was an athlete, you would probably never know I was an athlete, honestly. Uh, I just, I like, I don't really show that persona outside of running. Um, it's like, it's just completely different for me. So, um, going into Boston, you were basically having like the training cycle of your life. And obviously think the race didn't go the way you'd hoped. Um, and you guys, you, you and James made some adjustments in terms of making sure that you're not overtraining and making sure that your body's where it needs to be. How would you compare your fitness 
and just how your body feels, you know, five or six weeks out from New York uh, compared to how you felt and what your fitness was like, you know, five to six weeks out from Boston? I feel like I'm at a whole new fitness level right now. Uh, I'm not doing as much work that I did before Boston. And I think that's, that's purposeful on, on kind of both our parts. You know, we, we definitely want to be careful. I mean, we, we just want to show up the race day, have some really good workouts, maybe not have a plus workouts, but have B plus a minus workouts, you know, just do what we need to do, show up and perform and do our job. And that's kind of the mode we're in right now. We're not going to put too much emphasis on, on, you know, one workout over the other. Um, and we're going to try to be as even keel with it as possible. And, um, not that we weren't doing that before Boston. Uh, but like, I think it's easy to get trapped into the cycle and James would be the first one to admit this too. Um, you know, when you have all these flashy workouts, uh, you like, you get really amped, you know, and, and you have all these grand expectations and, you know, um, you, you literally have two outcomes. It could, it could totally bomb or you could, or you could run the race of your life. Or there's a third one where you could be somewhere in the middle, right? Um, so I could have had three of those options. I mean, like I had three of those options at Boston and I bombed, right? Um, but I think for us this time around, it was just not putting too much emphasis on those day-to-day workouts and just kind of going with the flow, just kind of taking care of business and making sure we're like we're doing all we can to stay healthy and be on that starting line at New York in five weeks. Right, as opposed to f- viewing those flashy workouts as like this, like pre like predetermined harbinger of things to come. Like, all right, yeah. we did this, which means yes. X. Yes, uh, and like we're still using like those comparisons in a way, but we're you know like we're being a lot more generous and and you know uh, it, it's you know like it's not the end all be all if if you know we hit certain times at a certain point in our training. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And and I feel like I've seen this, um, maybe not, you know, said the exact same way, but I feel like I've seen this a lot in the last month in terms of different content that a lot of runners and different um, shoe companies are putting out regarding, you know, kind of these like inside looks into people's training, this idea of like this A minus workout being like, that's what you want. You know, I remember like I, you know, I once, you know, was working with this coach who was the, the head track and cross country coach at Brown for like 35 years. And he was just like, you know, I wasn't good. He was just volunteering his time to like the local community. But it was funny. He would say that to everybody, no matter the the, the fitness level. And he was training guys who were Olympic uh, guys and girls who were Olympic uh, trials qualifiers at the time, too. And he's like, listen, you know, you should be able to do one more rep at the end of these workouts. Yeah. He goes, yes. if you literally killed yourself in the workout and you can't run the next day, then it wasn't a successful workout. Like if you can't run the next day, then you did it wrong. And I remember being like, that doesn't compute. Like I would think that this would be like, oh, proof of my toughness or whatever. And he's like, no, like the key is consistency. If you can't run the next day or do like, you can, or you can't do the a really hard workout two or three days later, like then it, it wasn't a good workout. Yes, I, I, I would absolutely agree. Just, just like having that consistency um, and just the consistency of quality workouts really does help. I mean, that's definitely helped my progression for sure. Like even if, um, you know, some of them have been flashy, like we've never gone over, like we've never gone too much into the well. Um, if that makes sense, it's, you know, it's always been, we've been edging towards it, 
but not too far down to where we can't dig ourselves out. And is that the important point? Was that one of the important things about racing then? Because obviously, I would think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that you need to practice going to the well just to know exactly how that feels and what it feels like to break down barriers. But if you do it too much, then it, it becomes counterproductive. Well, uh, you know, like everybody kind of has like their own view on this. Uh, I, I like personally believe that going to the well is good. It just, you, you just like, you just need to time it right. You know, you need to make sure that, 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 you know, you're putting it in, you know, like the right place in your training and it needs to be like the right workout. Um, so I, like, I do think going to the well is good, but I, I think very infrequently. So, you know, um, like it, like it really shouldn't be a constant in your training because kind of bridging this back to what you said before, um, it, you know, you want consistency. If you're going to a well in the workout, you're probably going to feel like you shouldn't be running the next day. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Getting ready for New York, what are some of the things that you and James are doing to make sure that you're prepared for just the uniqueness of the New York City Marathon course? Uh, we're running a lot of hills. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I, I mean, like New York is hilly. It's, uh, you know, that's definitely what it's known for. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a really tough world major. And, um, like it's going to be very tough in the back half and it's going to be very tough on the bridges and, um, you know, just got to make sure that we're practicing that specificity. So on Lake Mary road, um, you know, it's, you, you can either go out and back or you, you can go out 14 or, or 15 or 16 miles if you want, but we've been doing a lot of out and backs and the backs are, are brutal climbing. It's, it's, it's at least 400 feet of climbing probably. And, um, in, you know, seven miles, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and so on the way back in most workouts, we're kind of focusing on, okay, like how do we make these adjustments? So we're running a little bit slower on the way back because it is hillier. Uh, so we're focusing on intention and effort rather than hitting a certain pace. If I'm five thirty for a mile up a huge hill, um, at 7,000 feet, like I'm all right with that, you know, as long as the intention and the efforts there. So, um, you know, it's, it's been both running on the correct terrain that, that we're going to face in New York and just kind of basing our runoff intention and effort and making sure that we're doing everything right in practice. All right. Well, thank you for giving me so much time this morning. I really appreciate it. Last thing, what does um what is your taper going to look like in terms of like what what like from a timing perspective how long what does it taper um you know the, the the course of the days and like the workouts within it and things like that it's probably going to be a 10 to 14 day taper i haven't really looked too much at the calendar but that's where i usually perform my best so uh you know 3 weeks out we're still going to have pretty high mileage and then our last hard hard workout will be 14 to 10 days out you know, like, and then after that, it's just a lot of easy running, minimal quality, and then we'll be good to go. And, and, you know, uh, we'll be on that starting line. I love it. John, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, um, I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you for having me on.
Thank you, John, again for coming on the show. I love how thoughtful and candid John is on so many topics, and today was no different. I think I called him Jonathan in the intro, which is hysterical. I have no idea where that came from. Uh, but nevertheless, thanks again, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you also to Inside Tracker. Go to InsideTracker.com and use code RamblingRunner to save 15%. It truly is a remarkable service, and I cannot recommend it strongly enough. Thank you so much for listening, sharing, rating, and reviewing the show. I'm just so appreciative for everyone who's listening. It really does warm my heart. So thank you so much, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Never